Welcome back to Discussing Discussions, part two. We're having such a great time talking to Linda and Melissa last time that before we knew it, Marcus, we were out of time. So these two ladies were gracious enough to agree to come back and uh, really give the people what they want, which is another fantastic episode. Lots of folks talking all over Twitter sphere and, and the Canvas fam land and everybody out there with Instructure products really talking about how uh, this episode has hit, hit a little differently on the discussion side. And the truth is um, that when we started discussing discussions, um, we went a little long. So uh, we decided that we'd come back and finish it up with a part two with both Melissa and Linda. So thank you guys so much for joining us and being back on the, on the podcast. Yeah, glad to be here. So happy to be here. Thanks for having us back. Awesome. So uh, in part one, you know, we get to say, oh, in part one of the dis and Eddie keeps saying D in the discussing discussions. No, I purposefully put an apostrophe there to make it sound more hip and cool. We are discussing discussions. That's what's happening. Um, but in, back in part one, uh, we talked about how uh, discussions within Canvas can be rolled out to students from K all the way through higher education and both uh, Linda and Melissa shared lots of sort of like grassroots fundamental, here's how to get started sorts of content, which I think is super important for folks listening who, as I said in the last episode, were probably like me, a little bit intimidated, a little bit fearful. Um, I think a lot of folks needed to hear like, here's how you start things. Um, so we focused on that. We focused on the concept of, of gradual release of responsibility, which I love, uh, and sort of gradually putting that on the learner, uh, re probably regardless of age, uh, but certainly extra beneficial in the lower levels. Uh, and then we had some really great discussion about the use of scaffolding uh, for discussions themselves. Uh, and, and that's kind of where I wanted to pick up here in part two, because I think it's super important uh, for, for listeners to understand that there is, there's got to be a deliberate, uh, progression of things. And we have to be conscious of these extra skills that we're teaching while having a discussion. And, and that's kind of, kind of where we left off. And that got me super stoked and I haven't slept since then. Uh, Melissa, you actually shared a quack, quack back. Is that what it was called? Quackback discussion guide uh, last time, and we and it's uh, it's on Twitter, folks. So if you uh, uh, check out Canvas Casters, you'll see it there. Um, you shared that discussion guide last time and tweeted it and uh, remind the listeners of what that is and, and why you found it to be so useful. Okay, so um, Quackback is just a, a tool that I used in my high school classroom um, that helped to scaffold the replying to others part of discussions because that's the part where, you know, we're just like, oh, Marcus, I love what you said here. I totally agree, right? Super so, cool idea. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so that to, to minimize that and to give them um, – kind of a little bit more of like a like a purpose for replying or like a just to help them reply um it was it's i just found it one day on pinterest and i i don't know who the original creator was um based on the fonts i would imagine that it's probably um an elementary school thing um 
but I, I found too. it. Yeah, <laughs> I found it useful in my in my classroom. But if you see it on Twitter, uh, and you know who created it, please let me know so I can credit them, because um, I don't want to steal steal the things. Um, but so Quackback stood for the Q was for question. So one question I have is da 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 da. Mm -hmm. The U was understand. So asking, having one student ask another, help me understand this point that you made in your original post. Or the A was agree slash disagree. So I agree or disagree because, and then yep. insert reply. And C was compliment, which is kind of what we normally do. Um, but I, I I tried to to have my kids do more, at least more than one letter. Right. So then like, I like what you said here, but one question I have is, um, and then finally the K and I did that kind of out of order, but, um, the K is no more. Oh, I'd like to know more about what you said here. So, um, it just kind of helps to scaffold the replying process. Um, honestly, in my grad school work now, I sometimes will, will pull up my little graphic and, and use that to help me reply to discussion board posts. Cause it's, it's not like an innate ability. You have right. to you have to learn that. Yeah, that's so. the, that's what I that's honestly what I was hoping you'd say. <laughs> I, <laughs> because when I looked at that uh, resource that you know you you shared out as like here's a thing I've used. Um, you know, my first thought looking at glancing at that on Twitter was as as a secondary English teacher was I like it. Here's how I would. I would rework it, right? Like I would take that thing and I would uh, remix it, as we say in the uh, the copyright world. Um, and and so, but isn't that? I mean, that's that's what educators should be doing. Like you shouldn't mm -hmm. just be taking necessary. It doesn't always fit, you know. Right. And in that case, what you found fit and you were able to use it. I looked at it and I thought I would I, I like it, but and I would adjust some things. And I think that that's really important then when we talk about, you know, the way that Melissa has used that process of scaffolding uh, in, in the K-12 sort of setting. It, I think it transli transitions nicely into, Linda, what type of scaffolding you have uh, have used with, with higher education or, or, you know, how does that look? Does it look any different at that level? So Marcus, thank you so much uh, for asking about how we might adapt this kind of approach uh, and this this kind of task related to discussions uh, in higher ed. So first I wanna say that having some kind of approach to scaffolding students' replies to each other is really important because as, as I think we've all experienced, as lots of people have complained over the last couple of years, the, the um, having students just say, I agree, with your point, right? Like that—that that is not a good or a helpful helpful reply. Um, I've used two kind of different approaches to scaffolding, and I'll I'll explain both of them. One is uh, for times when I've used discussions that have been a little bit more open ended with students. Um, I've had I've had students in in my classes collaboratively develop their expectations about what their responses to each other should look like. So we've, you know, we've devoted some class time to talking through this. What kind of response from your peers would be useful to you? What makes for a good response? And you know, I'll be, I'll be really frank. Um, 
the the kinds of things that come up in the quackback graphic that Melissa shared are exactly the kinds of things that my that my students came up with as what they would like to see um, in their expectations from each other for good responses. Uh, they wanted not just they wanted people not just to agree with them, but say why they agreed with them. They wanted not just to say, hey, you made an interesting point, but to specifically call out what the point was and say why that point was interesting, how it made them think differently, how it made what what they learned from it. Um, they wanted people to ask them questions about what they posted. They wanted they wanted something that they could then respond to further. So um, these as a starting point, whether it's framed in a way that looks like um, something that's shared with uh, with a, a younger audience or with an older audience, I think is um, less relevant, less important than you know the 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 meat and potatoes, the content uh, being there uh, that that can be really helpful. So for more open-ended discussions, I've used this kind of approach. Um, as I said, one of the, 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 the strategy of putting the burden on my students, not bur burden's the wrong word, um, putting, <laughs> putting the responsibility, I'll say that, go. and putting the ownership on my students to help to frame their expectations of each other as members of a learning community um, was one way of making discussions be really successful. And this was a discussion that I'd used. These were discussions that I was using in a class that was primarily face-to-face -face where we were using uh, asynchronous discussions to help um, to help supplement the, uh, the, the uh, in-class participation. Right. And now, I think it's, oh, yeah, sorry. go ahead. I'm excited. Eddie, go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> hey, Linda, I think it's, um, it's very refreshing to hear. I think a lot of times when we have discussions with, with educators, whether they're in higher ed or K-12, we hear a lot about um, the major differences and how things in K-12 don't necessarily translate to, to the higher ed world. So it, it's very refreshing to hear you say some of the things that Melissa is doing with her quackback strategy or, or this question and understanding and this, you know, um, this device that she uses to, to create uh, discussion in her classrooms is also something that you do. You just don't call it quack back. You might call it something <laughs> different, right? Um, but but it's still the same strategies and, and still the same pieces. So um, I think for me, it's just always refreshing to hear that even though you live in two separate different worlds, that that education can translate uh, from one from one piece to the other. Thanks, thanks for, for uh, pointing that out and for connecting those dots. I think that that's a really great point. The second sort of strategy that I've used that can be really successful um, is scaffolding really specific responses. So if there is a more directed a more directed uh, word, if discussions are being used as a more direct learning activity, um, you may have very specific ideas about what you're looking for students to do in that activity. And in that case, um, calling out your expectations in the instructions for students is really important. Letting them know exactly what it is that you're expecting them to do and exactly how they're gonna be evaluated. Um, this can be communicated to students as part of the instructions for an assignment. It can be communicated to students in uh, a rubric that you might be using for grading. And I hope we talk about rubrics later in, in the context of evaluating. Um, evaluating uh, discussions. Um, last October, uh, I gave, I was one of, of three co-presenters uh, for an, uh, an 
InstructureCon presentation on effective discussions. And with those same two presenters, I also gave a poster session at Educause on this topic. And I'm happy to share our handouts from Educause, which gives some really specific advice about the kinds of scaffolding that you might do to scaffold not just the instructions that you give students, but also really specifically um, the kinds of responses that students are meant to be giving to each other in terms of what the content should be, where you want them to focus their attention, the length of that response, um, what the expectations are. And that that is really important to helping set up students for success rather than expect them to somehow um, innately understand what it is that that you're going for. We all have a sense of what a good discussion looks like in an in-person class. All of us who've been part of discussion classes at whatever level have right. experienced what those dis good discussions look like. But, but we don't necessarily have that same kind of innate understanding of what dis good discussions look like in an asynchronous realm. So it, it does really take a lot of direction, a lot of guidance to make those happen in a productive way. But when they do, they're they're astonishingly effective and can be very, very important uh, for students building of community, for um, helping to um, deepen and consolidate their knowledge on topics. I yeah. love a great segue. I, I really <laughs> do, because I mean, we're, we're kind of to the point, right? We've talked about getting started. We've talked about best practices. We've talked about scaffolding. Um, you know, lots of moments there. And, and now, you know, we're kind of dipping our toe into something that we can pivot to, which is this really, um, I think, could be a point of intimidation with discussions with a lot of teachers. Um, I know a lot of educators that, that when they come into the world of discussions, they start asking themselves, um, where should they start in terms of how to grade them or how am I assessing that discussion, whether it's based on expectation or whether it's based on a rubric? Um, what are you finding, Linda? We'll start with you and then we'll kind of move over to Melissa. But what are you finding uh, works when it comes to assessing those discussions um, and what might what might you've tried that, that didn't quite work as well um, and, and give us the nitty gritty on on what it looks like when you're grading and assessing these? OK, so I'll start with what doesn't work. What doesn't work is not having a sense of what you're looking for and then somehow thinking that you're going to be able to be even remotely fair as you evaluate students. You move from one student to the next and look through. And um, especially when you're uh, using a new kind of learning activity and assessing those for the first or second or sometimes even the third time, um, your expectations shift as you go through. and. Um, I remember the first several discussions of my, in my own classes that I was grading, it felt like I was back to my early days being a TA in a class where I would, you know, do a set of preliminary grade and I would organize them into stacks of here are the really good ones. And then I would go back and refine my grade. And it would take me so long to get through the grading in an effort to be really fair to students. That was my fault. That was my bad. That was my failure to plan, failure to establish expectations for my students. And the end result of it was inconsistent evaluation, inconsistent feedback to students, and a whole lot of unnecessary time on my part. Don't you do just that. you just described every teacher in the world has done that. Yes. Which, yes. It is again, a, like everybody's heart is a flutter right now because <laughs> 
we've all done it now now whether that was your first year of teaching or your fifth at or whenever we've all like i'm sitting here going yep i know exactly that i i i I can think of it right now of like that moment Mm -hmm. where you're like i just did so much work (laughs) that i thought was going to be productive and efficient and effective and fair and it was a whole bunch of work and it was a whole bunch of garbage by the time I was done with it. <laughs> yep. So I thank no. you because I, I, I feel it. And, you know, having weekly discussions does not have to translate into essentially grading the equivalent of grading a short paper for every student every week or, you know, two or three short papers for every student every week, depending on the complexity of your class and how many discussions you might have. The the first online summer course that I adapted had three discussions every week like that that is a lot of grading and you you don't have no one has the time to do to do that level what I found works really well and I've shared this with um with the faculty that I support at the Wharton School who come to me and ask me about about discussions is um a general rubric that I've used for discussion board contributions where I've thought through uh, for me, and this is like the the rubric that I use, it can be really readily adaptable to the grading criteria that my faculty use or colleagues that I've shared this with have used. But um, I use a really simple, a really simple rubric where I've thought through what's the most important thing that I'm looking for in students' responses. Um, what kind of content is, am I looking for for them to include? Um, I'm generally looking for them to uh, response, respond to whatever the prompt is in a substantive way. I'm looking for them to engage with course concepts. I'm looking for them to incorporate evidence from the text. Um, and I'm looking for them to demonstrate some kind of thoughtful analysis. Now, I, I want to be clear. Like, these are all things that we generally look for in formal papers. You know, a discussion board post is not a formal paper. It's just not. And you shouldn't have the same level of expectations because otherwise you're going to make your students do way more work than they need to be doing for something like this. But that doesn't mean that they can't have a glimmer of an idea that maybe is something that they're going to follow up later in some other more formal work. And that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for, right? I'm looking for them to, to... Uh, have something to say to make a contribution to the conversation and so these are the these are the qualities that I look for and my rubric breaks it down into um, someone who like on the on the one far end someone who hasn't responded at all and then gets zero points for it right and then on the the full points end um, something that is really truly outstanding something that demonstrates not just uh, substantive engagement with whatever the prompt is, but really um, uh, thoughtful invention, uh, thoughtful evaluation, uh, substantive um, contribution to the topic, something that brings in a new idea as opposed to restating something that's been there before. And so my, my rubric goes from one end to the other, where it lays out, you know, I'm looking for a new idea. I'm looking for something that that is unusually perceptive, that demonstrates a really good grasp of the material, so at at the outstanding end. Um, And then I I also articulate uh, at some intermediate points about the kinds of qualities that that I might see in something that would get, that would get, that would earn a low A or a high B or a low B 
for for a response. So something that would have um, that would demonstrate good understanding of the material, but maybe not unusually perceptive, right? So these are the kinds of uh, of broadly applicable language that I use in my rubrics. I'm generally less concerned about uh, about having grammar or like they're not being typos. I'm much less concerned about that with discussion posts. It needs to be readable, right? Like you need to be able to understand yeah. what the student is saying. But again, I, I really try to emphasize that what I'm looking for in discussion posts is ideas, not perfection. And that tends to help students get past the point of, of I need this to be perfect. And, and I must spend three hours on this, you know, these 200 words that I'm writing. That's that's way too much work. That's and and if they're spending that, they're, if they're putting that much, if students are putting so much excess energy into this, then there's other parts of their work that's that's going undone. And the amount of time that their peers are going to spend on this, and that I'm going to spend on this, is like it's not worth it for them to spend three hours writing it. Right? That's not what we're looking for. Um, so I have a rubric that I use. It's really easily adaptable. It's one that like I've refined over the course of several years, several many different classes to get to a point where I'm really happy with it. And I'm and and for those of you out on Twitter who are those of you who are listening who are on Twitter, I'll share um, I'll uh, share a link to my rubric if you want to check it out. So what here's what I'm hearing, right? So as the teacher as the professor, as the whatever your title happens to be, if I am providing clear and concise expectations, uh, hopefully a, 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 some sort of discussion prompt that is of, of relevance to class or even just for fun, like we talked about in the last episode, um, but something that's going to be engaging for those folks. And if I can evolve a rubric for assessing um, in a way that it's clear to students what is expected, uh, what do I have to do to get blank in terms of a, a grade, um, and if I'm providing uh, some scaffolding for them in terms of how they interact and how they respond, if I'm able to do those things, um, I'm actually, as the teacher, I'm able to I'm almost I'm almost forcing them to be efficient with their energy. You mentioned exactly. energy. Exactly. Don't waste your energy trying to do these other things. If if the student is provided the rubric and all of those things I just listed, and the student is actively looking at those things, the student should be able to efficiently accomplish, you know, said task, yep. participate in the discussion, and do well because you've sort of laid out everything. And I would all to that, I would also add that it can be really important, especially at the very beginning of the semester for the first one or two or three, depending on how long the semester goes and, and, and what the overall expectations are, the first few discussions to, uh, to for the for the teacher to evaluate that maybe a little bit more closely to give students directed feedback that may be restating um, content from from the, the rubric itself about what they've done well and maybe where they've either done an excessive amount like you don't need to do all of this and still get full, full points right. um, or because you don't want this to be a race to let's see how long of a post I could possibly write like that is I've, I've had students think that the way to do well in my class is to write 
you know, 1500 words for every discussion post. No, that's no, that's not, that's not, the, that's not. You, you don't want Marcus's opus every time. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, every once in a while, maybe, but every week is just a lot for them and for their peers. Uh, but being clear with them about how they're being evaluated, why you're evaluating them in certain ways. And then they have a sense of, you know, whether they've done a good job or not. And you're, students are writing more efficiently and you're, you can evaluate them more efficiently. So efficiently that I will say that my favorite, favorite, favorite way to, to evaluate discussions using a rubric. I live in a city, I live in Philadelphia and before the pandemic I took public transportation, the bus for most of the way um, to, to back and forth to campus. And I would grade discussions using the Canvas teacher app on my phone. Let's go. And a, and a rubric. And that doing it through the mobile device made it so that I had to be really um, specific about the feedback that I was giving them because, you know, typing with your mm -hmm. fingers on the little tiny keyboard takes a long time. But a well-crafted rubric will make it so that you have to do less of that. Yeah. Melissa, I, I know a lot of the things that you're hearing as uh, someone who's involved in, in at the high school level uh, in, in K-12 space, you know, as a former high school teacher myself, there was always um, a very, uh, a very smooth transition between what I was trying to do, which was also prepare my students for, for the college level or the higher ed level so that the ways that I was trying to assess would match some of the things that they might see at the next level if college was the decision that they were going to make, right? So uh, I know a lot of the stuff that you're hearing is probably super, super valid and, and validating to, to your work. Um, but in the K-12 space specifically, talk about how you are assessing and grading discussions. Yeah, so yes, I agree with everything that Linda has said. I, I was over here like nodding my head the whole time. My <laughs> neck is going to be sore because I just, there were everything, snaps. I saw snaps right, at one there point. Was snaps going on. There um, was a clap or two. Had it all. But uh, yeah. So it's like, it's super like incredibly validating to what I did in my high school classroom to know that those are the things that they're like they do in college and that I'm actually like, you know, doing the good work and actually doing stuff to prepare them. Um, so in the in the K twelve setting, for for me for grading again, yes, speed grader and the rubrics. Clicking that button when you make the discussion to make it a graded one, and then attaching a rubric to it um, is huge. Saves so much time because when you go into the speed grader, you can see their original post and you can see all of their replies that they did to other people. You can't see what they replied to, um, but you can still kind of judge the quality of their writing and their contribution to, you know, the community knowledge um, based on what you see of their post. So, um, because part of, part of teaching them to reply to is to like restate the things in the original post and then elaborate on that. So yep. rubrics, grading. Um, I like to um, be really intentional though with my rubric. And sometimes it was like they would get points based on the like content of their discussion post. And sometimes because I taught 
at a STEM institute, sometimes I was more concerned with their um, like collaboration and communication skills. And so I would, I would put um, like, cause that's part of the 21st century skills, right? So I would, I would put that on the rubric sometimes where I was less focused on the accuracy of what they were saying and more focused on how they were doing it. Um, and then also adding in uh, on all of my discussion rubrics, um, the like digital citizenship piece of behaving ethically and kindly online. Um, that was like always in there. So it's most of the time that was either you did it or you didn't like you were either being good or you were you were not being good. So right. um, that was an easy thing for them to get as long as they like, and I, I like what, so the thing that I was snapping about that Linda was talking was um, like, it should never be, we shouldn't, we as students should never have to guess what right. the teacher wants from us and how we're going to be graded. And the rubrics help with that so much. Um, and then sometimes I wouldn't grade them. Like, I just wouldn't grade their, it was just a discussion. Uh, newsflash, folks. Breaking news in the education world. I, I'm coming in hot on the mic. You don't have to grade every single thing. You heard it here first. Sorry. Go <laughs> yeah, ahead. so now you're good. Um, <laughs> Because like, if it's just a, like formative, we're just like creating knowledge. We're not assessing skills yet. Um, I just want them to talk about stuff because they learn more from each other than they could ever learn from me. Um, so I don't grade them, but I would still, so I would make it a, a graded discussion in Canvas for zero points. And then that way you can still attach a rubric. So you can still, you can make that rubric so that it gives the kids feedback on their posts and where like the grade number is not attached to it. That's awesome. So that it builds in the feedback and then I don't have to type their feedback over yep. and over and over again. I make it once on the rubric, zero points, and then click, 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 next kid. And then they have feedback that they can use for our next discussion to make their posts and replies better. That's so good. That's such a like that that right there is such a great tip uh, for folks who are, you know, sort of dabbling is like, OK, but what if I don't want to grade every single one, but I do want to try to or I do want to have students begin work like that's a perfect sort of I don't know if it's necessarily a workaround, but it's a solid <laughs> way to accomplish all of the things. Yeah. Oh, working I wanna... in a discussion, uh, but you're not necessarily giving them a grade. Yeah, so I just want to say before we like segue into our next topic, um, it's not super easy for kiddos to find the rubric in the discussions. So if you're using a rubric with your discussions, show them how to find it so they can find your feedback. Um, I want to I want to uh, reiterate what Melissa just said. That is a super excellent point and is um is is something that uh my colleague adam zolkover who is one of my co-presenters on um the the discussion presentations that 
that I did last fall uh, has has made over and over and over again um, calling out for students in the instructions where it is that they can find how they will be evaluated, uh, including a screenshot of you know where to find the rubric, right? Like include yeah. and including that within the discussion the in discussion um, description itself, mm -hmm. so that it is always there. They can always find it. They always know where to look. Is really important. So Melissa, thank you so much for yeah. bringing that up. There's one more point about grading that I want to that I also want to say is that um, depending on you know the place that that discussions may be taking in your class, if you're looking to if you're looking to hold students accountable to do them, and give students credit for having completed them, as opposed to giving more in depth feedback, um, Canvas has lots of uh, grading tools that can make that a little bit easier, right? Like you can go into, you can go into the grade book, you can see, you'll see a, a, a document icon that will let you know that someone has submitted something to the discussion. If there's anyone who hasn't submitted anything, you can give them a zero, right? If they haven't mm -hmm. submitted anything. And if your, if your um, discussion is being done essentially on a, a complete or incomplete basis, you can use the default grading option. Um, yep. In, in Canvas's gradebook to automatically give everyone credit. So depending upon the place that this has in your course, depending on the kind of um, feedback or the, the, the how you are giving students credit for doing this, you know, there may be some other, there may be some other options uh, there as well to spending a lot of hours uh, doing a lot of in-depth grading. And toward that end as a justification potentially for um, the, the, the going the less graded route is um, I would encourage faculty to think about what faculty presence in a discussion looks like. Um, in some cases that might be contributing to the discussion as a participant. In some cases that might be backing off and letting that be a student-directed space where students get to say what students want to say to each other. And having your expectations for what students are gonna do, what the faculty presence is going to look like, if faculty presence is appropriate, and having that align with your expectations about the role that it's going to play in um, in the overall, uh, in and how students are being evaluated overall in your class and having all of that align in a way that makes sense is really important absolutely the so i have so i have a thing in my head that you know, when when you get to sit and listen and talk to smart people then they get you know we iron sharpens iron right so um in my head i'm thinking back to all of the writing that i was grading uh in, in high school writing you know sophomores and and seniors uh which was kind of my most recent and um the, I, I don't know when this occurred to me i don't know if someone taught it to me or something but i i came to this realization that um as as a person who was grading writing and in this case it's similar there it's similar you're not necessarily grading the writing grammatic and uh, mechanics but your thought and so forth uh it occurred to me while in the classroom that like I could have this writing uh, prompt, this this prompt from sophomores, and it's a paragraph. 
And maybe I don't necessarily, I'm going to grade this based on the following things, not holistically, right? Um, and, and once I started doing that, uh, it, it made grading much easier for me. And it made, it was more, it was more accessible for students to understand, like, in this prompt, Mr. Painter told me that he's grading on creativity and blah, 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 blah. Or he's grading this strictly on grammar and mechanics uh, or whatever it may be. So I was basically siloing rather than having everything graded uh, or assessed. I was picking and choosing. And I, and I feel like as a, as a teacher in Canvas, using discussions and having sort of gotten in there, you've, you've done it, you're experienced now, you've got your rubric figured out, your students know what they're doing, and you've covered all the bases that we've talked about over the last uh, you know, few minutes. I can imagine that there could be a, a situation or a scenario where you as an educator could take a similar approach to how you um, grade discussions. Um, and, and I can even see how you could almost have like a plethora of uh, the word that comes to mind is Easter eggs, but that's not quite what it is. But basically, like I can imagine Melissa was talking about STEM. Like, you know, I can imagine scenarios where I would be looking as a teacher to give extra boost to the the points, if you will. Or maybe there's a part in the rubric that says that, you know, you made a, a you successfully used stem vocabulary from this week in your in your responses you know that sort of thing um where you're sort of pushing other avenues uh to sort of uh communicate but also to sort of earn those points um so there's just for those listening like i hope <laughs> i hope you guys are listening to these two and going i hope the gears are grinding because my gears are grinding um but i, I do want to i, I want to kind of transition from that um, Marcus's tangent there, but I, I want to transition into kind of talking about our pro tips and you guys have done such a great job of saying, you know, oh, and don't forget this and oh, make sure to do this and not that. Um, and so I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that you got one left, one left in you. Um, but Melissa, let's start with you. Uh, what is like one final pro tip that you'd share with educators uh, that you think would be the most persuasive thing you could tell them if they're like Marcus and they're a little bit iffy about starting off with discussions. What's that one persuasive point that you'd say, this is what I would tell tell you? So to persuade teachers on the fence about discussions, the thing that I would bring up um, would be like equity for student voice. Because when you're having a discussion in a classroom, in person, you have, you know, whoever's holding the sharing stick is the one who talks. And you may have a shy kid, you may have, um, uh, you may have a nonverbal kid, you may have, you know, any number of reasons why um, a kid is not going to speak up or you like don't want to beat a dead horse, right? So you don't want everybody's opinion during a discussion. Um, but in an online discussion, you have now created a space where every kid's voice can be read, right? Or heard, you can record it um, in, an, in an equitable way. 
they all have space. They deserve to have space and, and to be heard. And discussions allow that to happen. I'm sold. <laughs> you got me. Uh, Linda, what about you? If, if you're, you know, working with faculty and, and you're just sort of banging the drum for, you know, how a discussion would really help a particular uh, course or a particular professor in their work, uh, what would you say to them? So that's a great question. And I want to I want to echo a lot of what Melissa said, especially around the way that the possibility for discussions to help um, foster inclusivity by allowing students a little bit more time to frame their responses, how it can nurture engagement and help build community and integrate knowledge. Discussions can do all of these things regardless of the format of the class. But the where I would start, my, my pro tip where I would start with a faculty member who's on the fence is remind them that discussions are one of the few places where student contributions within the LMS can be made visible to their peers. And I would ask them to think about what kinds of learning activities in their class, what, what moments in their course would benefit from students being able to see what their peers are doing. And I would, I would ask them to think about that. And there are lots of places where that can happen, right? Whether you're using discussions for ad hoc peer review or whether you're using discussions as a way to share slide deck for students to, to share slide decks uh, for group presentations that they're doing. There's lots of ways where, where, um, where having an audience that goes beyond the teaching team can be really valuable. And so think about those moments, identify those moments. And then from that point where you've sort of already got the authentic reason in the course itself to be having students um, making their contributions visible to one another, use that as, as your starting point for thinking about where discussions will make sense in your class. Marcus, let's, uh, let's take a quick break. I, I do want to come back and I don't want to let I don't want to let them off the hook. I, I think the plan was at the end of the episode that we would just say, we've talked a lot about what might be in your canvas backpack, but I want you guys to be thinking uh, as we go into this break, what else is in your canvas backpack? Because we have spent two entire episodes talking about the one tool that we know both of you absolutely love, but that can't be it. You, you must have one other thing that you love Canvas, uh, that you love inside Canvas that you can give us. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back, right? Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back into the Canvas Casters podcast as we ask Linda and Melissa what is in their Canvas backpack. If you love Canvas and want to take your knowledge to the next level, Check out the Canvas Certified Educator Program. CCE is the program designed by educators at Instructure for the educators who use our products. Engage in a series of project-based courses with a community of like-minded educators. Want more information? Go to bit.ly slash CCE underscore FAQs. We'd love to have you join us on this learning journey. Now, normally we we end each episode by asking our guest what's in your canvas backpack and i think initially we were going to let both linda and melissa take a flyer on that because they spent the entire episode talking about what fills their canvas backpack but you know what i was trying to be I nice other, i have other ideas i have other ideas and that idea is that 
Give us one thing. What is the one thing that you couldn't live without besides discussions? Because we know that you guys absolutely love these. But what's the one thing that you could also throw in this very oversized, very stuffed canvas backpack? Uh, I'll go first. So uh, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to cheat and I'm going to answer with two different answers. One wearing my uh, director of instructional design at the Wharton School hat and the other one wearing my uh adjunct uh, lecturer hat. So as the director of instructional design at the Wharton School, the one thing that's in Canvas that I could not live without is the ability to have groups and group assignments and group discussions and all of the other things that you can do with groups. Groups are really important. Group work collaboration is really important for business education. And we use those very heavily. And groups aren't perfect in Canvas, but they allow for a lot of really amazing things and we can do a lot of stuff with them. Love groups. With my adjunct lecturer hat on, one of my very, very, very favorite parts of Canvas is in the new gradebook, which debuted in what, 2018, 2019. I've been using it you know, since it was in beta ages and ages and ages ago. But my very favorite part of the gradebook is the ability to filter the gradebook view by module or by um, assignment category or by section or by student group or by all of these other different things. And you can filter it by multiple ones at the exact same time. So if I'm looking to make sure that I've graded every all of the various assignments in week one of my course, uh, I can just filter down to week one. Or if I want to see all of the Folklore Thursday assignments across my Intro to Folklore course, I can just look at all of the assignments in that one assignment group, and I can see all of them and just them, just the things that I'm looking for. And I love the ability to filter the gradebook like that. Melissa, you're up. Okay. So I'm actually super glad that we get to do this because when I saw um, in like the projected notes that we wouldn't get to do our canvas backpack i almost messaged you i was like but can i can i have like a like a like a lunch box or like a snack bag for canvas? can i get a pencil pack right so i actually i have two things too um one which i'll elaborate on and one that i will just mention so the the thing as a teacher um that i could not live without in canvas is the announcements um they are like sneaky discussions or they can be because you can turn on so that's my dog in the background um, <laughs> um so you can turn on to where kids can reply to your announcement so that's how i did attendance during the pandemic is i would have their announcement of stuff to do they had a prompt and they had to reply to my weird funny question and they could talk to each other um in there too um but with announcements um I use them like my professors use announcements to get information from me to my kids. And um, I never really caught on to remind um, because I, it was just one extra thing. But the kids can connect their phones to Canvas and get their announcements to their phone. So, and then parent observer accounts can get the announcements to their phone. So, um, it was just... Uh, I just couldn't live without announcements. And then the other little thing, like in my side pocket of my canvas backpack <laughs> is um, like the ability to cross list courses. Um, so if you have the same prep more than once in a day, you can put the, 
put them all in one place so you're not creating things over and over and over again. Yes, yes. We we did lots of cross-listing at one of my former uh, schools, and um, you got to know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> but You got to take the address definitely. to the kids, not the kids to the address. Yes, yes. and But yes, absolutely. So good. So yeah. good. Uh, Eddie? This one, this one turned out to be what the kids would say a banger. Mm-hmm. It was great. It's fantastic. Thank you, Melissa and Linda, uh, so much for sharing your expertise with us today and uh, for giving us some really amazing tips and lots of pieces of advice. I know a lot of educators are going to listen to this, whether they're in higher ed or K-12, and take a ton of this back with them. I always love when we get a chance uh, on these episodes to give educators something they can use tomorrow. And that's, this is exactly what we did. So great work. Thank you guys so much for being a part. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. I love so, it. So happy to be there and participate. Yeah.